Good morning. Welcome to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant. My name is Jason Warren Griffiths. I'm the pastor of this local outpost of God's kingdom. I got a couple announcements for us. One of the first one is um, a lot of people have trouble understanding me because of the sound thing and because of me. Because I mumble and I speak fast sometimes. Don't worry about the stuff I mumble. God will teach you. God will teach you to listen to me. I mean, it's a relationship. There's also sound devices. We have these, we have these sound devices. Show, hold them up, Phil. Look at that thing. You put that in your ear, and it goes from my microphone into your head. And so you get to adjust it. It's pretty amazing. It's like technology. It's like, welcome to 1998. It's amazing. It's ridiculous. So if you're having trouble understanding me, and you think it's because of the sound and not because of me, grab one of those sound devices. Second one, there's a flyer in here in your, uh, in your bulletins this morning. There's an open house that's next Sunday. Being the new pastor here, I'm still discovering places. I first, I went to the shed for the first time just last night. There's a shed back here that my key works in, which is exciting. Um, and then my third and final announcement is there's fellowship pads. Some people call them blue books. Make, make sure you pass those around eventually during the service. Let's stand up and greet each other in the name of the Lord. Okay, I'm going to wrangle us back in. If everybody could get to their seats, but actually remain standing. Everybody get to your locations and please remain standing and face me. And before I give us our call to worship and before I pray... I'd like to tell you what CIC means at the top of the CIC open house. It says, I found out it means capital improvement campaign. Right? Okay, good job. Good job, me. I don't know who that good job was. (laughs) Now, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let's gather in a word of prayer. God of the globe, and indeed of the whole cosmos, help us to move beyond the fences we erect to see the expansiveness of your gracious call. Guide us as we look beyond the boundaries that block us from those we label as others. And as our vision expands, nudge us to consider uncomfortable truths and to take risky actions. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
seated and send the young, young folk up. talk to you about, oh, by the way, my name is Patty. Miss Patty, those of you who've been in children uh, will know me as Miss Patty. I want to talk to you a little bit about a hobby that I used to have. and haven't done it in a few years, and I miss it. But I used to do a lot of rock climbing. Now, when you first hear the word rock climbing, you think, ah, oh, well, that's, that's a scary thing. But I want you to know that before you climb rocks, there's some tools that you have. And to me, climbing a rock is kind of like life. There are tools that you need to face life because sometimes life can be a big rocky mountain to climb. Well, let's like take a look at some of the tools we have. First of all, how to harness. And I'm not going to put the harness on because it's a little bit complicated. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure I'd fit into it right now. Um, it's really, really important. Thank you. We have a rope, very special rope. Now, I have to be honest, this is not the rope that I climbed with. This is my ca caving rope. Caving rope is a little bit different than a climbing rope, uh, and I happen to give my climbing rope away. But the rope is very important. Something else. It's climbing, we have very special shoes. These are my husband's shoes. I gave my shoes away, too. But these are shoes that will, when you, uh, you jam your foot down into the rock, it sticks. They're made to stick. Another very important thing that you have when you rock climb, you have a belayer. A belayer is someone that holds on to the end of the rope. Now, you're not climbing the rope. You're climbing the rock. That rope is strictly for safety. If you fall, that rope, that rope catches you. But the rope is tied with a very special knot to your harness, and then the belayer holds the other end of the rope. The job of the belayer is to guide you in your rock climbing. We have a guide in life. Now, whenever you suit up to rock climb, uh, before you start climbing, you turn around, you look at your belayer, and you say, on belay, belay on. And you say, climbing, and then you start climbing. But you don't start climbing until your belayer tells you. So who is that belayer? Your belayer is God. When you get up in the morning, you, tell, you ask God, on belay, and God will say, belay on. Okay, now... As you're rock climbing, you're so close to the rock, you can't always see. I'm sorry, I'm turning, looking at the wrong place. You can't always see uh, your next move. So what do you do? You, go to, you call down to your belayer and you say, talk to me. And they'll say something like, well, just above maybe your right knee, there's a little knob. Lift your, uh, you lift your foot up, you can, you can schmear on that knob. And you say, I can't see it. 
I can't see it because I'm so close to the rock. Sometimes you're so close to life, you can't see the, the little helps that God gives us. But the belayer will guide us, and the belayer will say, it's there. Trust your shoes. Trust your shoes. So you put your foot up, and you know what? Sometimes you find it. Sometimes you've got to try a couple of times. And are you going to get scratched up in the move? Sure. But every time you try it and you fail, you learn something. And pretty soon, you're going to hit that knob. And the belayer has you. And what happens if you fall? Yeah, you might get a little scratched up. But that rope is going to catch you. And you've always got your belayer saying, trust me. Trust your shoes. So in the, what did I do with my Bible? Even King, even King David had to call out for, to God in Psalms, Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my Lord, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Your cry to that belayer will reach that belayer. So remember who your belayer is. And what do you say in the morning? You say, on belay, belay on. Oh, let's have a prayer, please. Dear Father, I thank you that you are our eternal belayer. And I pray, Father, that when we open our eyes in the morning, the first thing we say is, on belay. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Tomorrow is Bible Translation Day. And what better way than to tell a story of a Bible translator in Asia. And this day started for this Bible translator with Wycliffe, um, and it was truly a holy moment. It was early in the day, and four local translators and the Wycliffe translation advisor were sitting together drafting a translation of Luke 22, 40, 24 through 46. And when they got to verse 44, it said, and being in anguish, he prayed earnestly. This is Jesus praying earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. They started discussing why was Jesus in agony as they tried to do the translation. And the transla translation advisor said it wasn't just because Jesus knew he was about to physically suffer on the cross. Now, that would do many of us in, most of us in. But also, because he was about to bear the sin of all people. The local translators took up the discussion from there. They said, truly, he wasn't just bearing our sins, but everybody's sin from all over the world, from Australia, from Asia, from from. California, from China, everybody, everybody. And not just for people today, but for people all from beginning to end. It's everybody's sin. And for several minutes, they just kept processing 
and processing and processing, thinking through this. What does this mean to us? And they kept repeating everybody's sin. And then it happened. A holy hush fell on the room. And for no less, no less than 10 minutes, those four men sat in silence. A couple of them even pulled their shirts up and covered their faces, and they just wept. The translation advisor sat there in complete awe at their response, and he too began weeping. He wasn't sure how or if they were going to move on, but after what seemed like a long, long time, they pulled their shirts down and wiped their eyes. And one of them said, okay, let's translate it so other people can understand it too. Our people. That's why we, you, me, you, you, me, <laughs> the translators, the missionary support workers do what we do. In partnership, you support me, me supporting the missionaries on the field, we help people hear and truly understand what God's word is saying to other people in their own language. And I wanna thank you as a congregation for partnering with me in this ministry. Thank you. Well, we're gonna wake you up after that.
So we have this segment built into Christian worship services called Worship Music Time or Worship Time. It's a very thrown around word. And after leading worship for many years now, what worship has come to mean for me is simply this. Gratitude. You know, uh, counseling throughout the years. Um, I've heard many times mentioned in church this, this question. What is the will of God for my life? Man, I wish I just knew the will of God for my life. If I, if I knew the will of God for my life, I would do it. I just want to know what God's will is for me. Do you know it's been in the Bible for over 2,000 years? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, I don't believe that God gives us directives just to see if you'll conform to it. God is always fighting for you. You are being transformed into the image of God. And the perfection of God is the perfection of love. See, gratitude is a mindset that chooses to see what is good in every situation. Why is that important? Because a mind that is focused on what is good can believe for anything being possible. It is the foundation of faith, which is the system of God. To see what is good is to see what is possible. And that is how your faith is developed and grown. So worship time is not just a spiritual ritual where we sing and hope something happens. It is a time where we shift our focus from what we are carnally concerned about. And we see the eternal. We see where we are, we are headed. We see what others call impossible as possible. Because we ground ourselves together in gratitude. God has been faithful. Let's sing about it. Faithful one, so unchanging, ageless one, you're my
call out to you again and again. I call out to you again and again. dance over me while I'm away. You sing all around, but I never hear the sound. Lord, I'm amazed by
We remember that our Lord Jesus can sympathize with us in our weaknesses, since in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. In humility and penitence, we bow before God, for we wish to turn from behavior that is unacceptable in God's sight. Remembering our human frailties, we join together and pray our confession. Lord of the Sabbath, hear our prayer. It is hard for us to stop working and harder still to stop worshiping work. We confess that our busyness often substitutes for our holiness. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to be still 
knowing you more deeply. Patient, Lord, we schedule our lives down to the very second. We crowd in as much activity as we can and then wonder why we are so stressed out and tired. We are afraid to miss out on anything. And when it comes time to be with others, we spend our time worrying about details rather than being truly present. Forgive us when we get so caught up in the details and miss the opportunity to sit at your feet, learning, listening, growing in our faith. God of rest, grant that our souls can find rest in you. Amen. The words are true and worthy and full of acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven.
Amen. Wow. That's beautiful. I was driving the other day over in the Newport area, and I saw a younger woman with a child. She's probably my age, about 40s. And she was jogging, and she had a T-shirt on that said the Misfits, and it had a picture of a skull head on it. Um, if anybody doesn't know, that's a band that's called the Misfits. They came out in the 70s, 80s, and they were at the beginning of punk rock. They were led by a guy named Glenn Danzig. And I thought in my mind, there is no way that that woman has ever heard the band The Misfits. <laughs> and I was thinking about that, and I was realizing... Actually, I had the question. I should Google it sometime, too. I wonder how much merchandise The Misfits, the band, has sold without even them being liked as musicians. And it's simply because... Everyone in here feels like a misfit at some point in their life. We feel like outcasts. We feel like we don't belong. I was at a presbytery meeting yesterday, and this, this man, his name was Jaco, Jaco Heyman. He says, belonging... He was talking about how the church is supposed to be reaching out to the millennial generation. And he says, belonging is a big part of millennials' spiritual journey. And as I was thinking about that, I said, no, duh. <laughs> and then I also said, it's a part of all of, our, all of our spiritual journeys. We long to belong, right? We, we, we crave to have people know our names. Remember that song, Cheers? Remember the opening of Cheers? Where everybody knows your name. Everybody. I remember when Friends was, I hadn't, I'd given up TV because of my, I don't know what I was doing. But right when Friends was happening, and I was reading all these articles about how Friends was taking off, and the sole purpose was, the sole reason for Friends making such a huge impact on our society and connecting with so many people it's because everybody wanted to be a part of that group. They were characterized. They wanted to join those people on the screen and have a relationship with Phoebe and all those people that were walking around. They wanted friends. And this, this morning, we've been in this series about Sabbath, and we've been learning about the different attributes and the different aspects of Sabbath rest. And we're going to pivot this morning. Because I felt last week, we, I just felt the hunger to hear about Jesus again. And so this is going to cross over. This is Sabbath meets Jesus. This is Sabbath and the people of God, Israel, meets the people of God, Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, Costa Mesa. And so open your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 56, I believe, yes. And I'll begin at verse 3 and end at verse 7. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. 
For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar and my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Start in verse 3. Do not let the foreigner be joined to the Lord, say. Israel has a problem, and Israel is doing something wrong. And so are we as followers of Jesus, as the Christian church. There's a book out there, Prodigal God. I'm going to be going through it in the couple of weeks with, the, with some men. And Tim Keller is the author of this book, and he, he points out that the church has the same problem that Israel has. And that is, it's full of older brothers. I don't know if you know the prodigal son story, but the, the prodigal son takes all the inheritance, goes away, spends it all, comes back, the dad gives him a big party. It's a huge metaphor for how much God loves the lost and the least. But then in the midst of it, you got the older brother saying, hey, what up? Hey, uh, dad, what the, what's, the, what's the deal here? I stuck here the whole time. Tim Keller says this, if our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, which I think they aren't, there's a lot of misfits and there's a lot of people that don't belong and they feel like that. They don't, they don't belong in a place like this. They don't belong to people like us. They must be more full of elder brothers than we'd like to think. Israel has gotten to this place where Isaiah is being called by God to say, hey, you better check yourself. I'm on the foreigner's side that's with me. Somewhere along the way, you forgot wanting to be with me for being me, and you want to be with me to get the stuff and to check it off the box and feel like a holy people. And you see a little of God standing up for the bully and saying, I'm not in your corner, I'm in their corner. And he brings up the eunuchs. But I'll get to that in a second. Big picture. Isaiah, broken up into three sections. This is the beginning of the third section. And it opens with the question, pretty much, so what does maintaining justice and doing what is right look like? That's the rest of Isaiah. From this chapter on, that's what Isaiah starts talking about. What does righteousness look like? What does justice look like? And he kicks it off with this passage. 
Isaiah brings up outcasts and misfits. He says, the eunuchs. This is what the eunuchs were thought of in those days. In their maimedness, they fell short of the human wholeness that was God's ideal. That's what the people of God thought of eunuchs. They weren't a whole picture of the image of God. They were less than. Who are our eunuchs? Who are our... We, we mention them right now. They're not complete. They're so lost. They're, they're not worthy. Got the first question. So what does maintaining justice and doing what is right look like? And you got your second question. How does one join the community of God? How do I fit in here? How do I come into these walls and know that this is my people? How do I stop being an outcast? Misfit. Answer comes in this passage. It all starts with God. It all starts with good theology. It all starts by studying the God of this word. It all starts with how much God absolutely adores each and every one of us. Brueggemann writes this. He says, the wonder of the people of God in the Old Testament, and I'd like to add in the New Testament, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, is the marvel of transformation whereby not a people become God's people. How do you become a people? How do we become part of this community? God picked you. Past tense. How do you do it? You are it. You look at the God behind this book and he's saying every single page, no, no, you are it. What does justice and mercy look like? I'll get to that in a second. I want to drill down just a little bit. Here in Isaiah, we see our marching orders and our identity as a community. And they both come through Sabbath. In the Old Testament, they all come through Sabbath. He says, the eunuch, the outsider, the misfit, that loves me and enjoys me in my Sabbath, the way we receive it, the way we receive this word of God's adoration is by sitting and resting. That's what Isaiah says. What does the New Testament say? How do we receive it? Anybody? Have you been around church a little bit? Have you ever heard a certain verse in John? It starts with three, ends with 16. <laughs> right? For whosoever, for God so loved who? The world. Lewis, are you part of the world? Maybe not. He's asleep. Okay. <laughs> He's in another world. The world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How? 
how do we receive? And Isaiah, he says, joining on the Sabbath, getting to God's presence, rest with him. How, do we, how does John say it? How does Jesus say it in John? Whoever believes, the word pistuo is the word belief, faith. But this, this, isn't, this isn't what's in the scripture. John, in this, it says, pistuain, believe into. I, I need a chair. I need something. Okay. Okay, this is, this is a, but pretend this is a chair. Well, it's kind of a chair. It's whatever, like this. I believe in this, that it will support my weight, not by saying anything. It's not a cognitive thing. It's an action. It's a, it's a doing. It's a, it's a trusting in. It's a, it's a making an action. But this is believing in, okay? This is believing into, all of me, all of me in this weight. You lift up. God absolutely adores you. The way you become a part of this, of God's people, is you believe into him. You take him at his word. You take him at, yeah, he did love me enough to send his one and only son to die. Marcy nailed it in the... Who does a moment of mission? Who, who follows a moment of mission like that with a sermon? That's the gospel right there. I don't know. Marcy, you nailed it. Right? Isn't that the gospel? Past, present, future, all of us. God loved us so much, all of it went into the cross. We believe into that. Notice, in both the, the New Testament and the Old Testament, in Isaiah and in John, you don't clean up first. You come as is. You know, it, it, somebody mentioned, I don't remember where I was, well, whenever you're going to the dentist, that's the most you ever brush your teeth, Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Am I alone in that? I think I'm alone. I think everybody does that. But this isn't like the dentist. God says it over and over. No, no. As is, there's a one theologian. He says, "I'm going to try and out wake up and say I love you first to God." Woke up at four in the morning. He was still there saying, "I love you first." Woke up at one in the morning, he's still there. He's always there. I think it was Carl Barth that said, there isn't a part of this universe. Is that right, Sharon? Oh, anyway, she's my resident theologian. But she's money, isn't she? Round of applause, quick. quick. <laughs> but I think it was Carl Barth that said, there isn't this, a, a corner of this universe that God isn't saying, mine. I love this. And there's an urgency in both of them. In Isaiah, he's saying, people of God, you better wake up. Jesus himself says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's nobody else. There's no ticket out. There's no other ticket out of this place. And we get our marching orders. So we get our identity as a group And then we also get marching orders. 
in this passage in Isaiah. In Isaiah, it's realizing God is in the corner of the eunuchs and the outcasts who take the message of God's invitation to community through the Sabbath seriously. For us as followers of Jesus, our marching orders of doing right and justly is to first recognize we have a problem. God is better at loving people as is than the church is. The problem is the same as Israel. God makes us into a people, and quickly we turn into an exclusivity club. Club. God gives us grace and mercy, and we make it all about us. How do we get better? How do we change this? First, we enlarge our hearts and confess. We enlarge our hearts and confess. Sabbath, Jesus even more, deconstructs the notion of being qualified of membership. Look to your right and look to your left. To your right and to your left are unqualified people. And right in the middle is the, the least qualified. I remember John Huffman used to always say, if you ever find a church that's perfect, keep going because you're going to mess it up. Enlarge your hearts. Confess. I honestly need, I think the church, we, we need to start apologizing. For years and years of, 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 of seeing misfits as more unforgivable than ourselves. We, we, we need to say sorry to huge communities. We've had this monopoly on this love of God, and we're like, we don't want to share it. I don't know what's wrong with us. I guess it all comes back to that we're a bunch of sinners. But I think it starts with confessing and starts apologizing. And it starts getting deep inside of our soul the truth the truth that we don't get to choose. Israel didn't get to choose. We don't get to choose. We don't get to choose. I remember I was, I was, in, I was going to Haiti, and Randy Spear, he probably skipped because I told him I was going to mention him. But we went, uh, we went to Haiti. I, first day, actually, it was the first week on the job over at St. Andrews. And I got on the plane on, at Monday night, and it was like 7 o'clock. And I didn't put two and two together. But that's a red eye. <laughs> Has ever been on, anybody been in a red eye flight, right? It was I was uh, there was this team that was going to Haiti at the last second. One of the guys couldn't go because he had to have like his his appendix taken out or something. So they threw me in, and I'd just been transferred over to youth. And so I get on this plane, not putting two and two together. I'm gonna wake up in Haiti, and I'm I'm gonna be with, in a shovel. I'm gonna I'm gonna be shoveling. I was it was right after the hurricane hit. We flew 
and I didn't sleep. Can you sleep like this? Does anybody sleep like this? I can't sleep like that. And it's not, I'm a large man. Those seats aren't made for human beings like me. So we land in Haiti, and they bus us over to this. It's in the middle of City Soleil, which is the, the poorest barrio in the Western Hemisphere. And they hand me a shovel, and we, me and Randy Spear are digging. And I'm just like, this is crazy. This is just madness. This isn't my life. This, I can't. I haven't slept. Where's the, where's, the, where's the Marriott? You know, like, I'm doing all this stuff. So I'm getting grumpy as all can be. And then somebody's late or something with some food. And I'm like, man, I'm, not, I'm griping and griping. And Randy Spear, he sounds a little like John Wayne and a little like Eeyore. <laughs> you know? He's the definition of a man. Let's just all be straight. He's a mason, and he never wears work gloves. And so he's just tougher. He's tougher than nails. But I'm griping and stuff like that, and I end up griping about somebody we both know, and he goes, well, Jesus died for him too. (laughs) And every single time, I thank God for Randy Spear because that voice of truth echoes loud in my life. I'm ashamed to confess that I more often than I should think, man, I don't know about that person. I don't know about that. That's, that's really far. I don't know if God can love that. And then Randy Spear pipes up on, the, on behalf of the triune God of this book. Jason, you don't get to choose. I choose, and I love bigger than you possibly could fathom, and you should be thanking me for it every second of every day. Two groups in this room. Some of you came in here this morning, and you feel like a misfit, and you need to be reminded. This is a lot of places. It's a hospital for the sick. But for the misfit, it's a community. It's a home. On behalf of everybody in this room, as is, welcome. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad you got out of your bed and made it to this place. Because we're not complete without you. Welcome home. The second of us is those older brother types like me. We need to be slapped upside the head every once in a while and reminded we don't get to choose. This is an organization that doesn't exist for itself. This is a body of believers that doesn't exist for itself. We actually exist for the people outside of these walls. And God says... You go find the least and the lost. You go find the person that doesn't feel like they're whole, like the eunuch, or the the person that feels put down all the time. You go and get in their space, and you remind them that I absolutely adore them. I've been thinking about them since the day they were born, since before then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, precious Lord Jesus, powerful spirit, we are the church, make us into the church. 
tattoo it on our souls that we belong to you and we don't get to choose who you love. And all God's people said, Please stand and let's sing hymn number 442. Oh, Master, let me walk with thee. Our ushers look a little different today. They're the young uns. Thanks for serving, students. You guys are excellent. Now's round of applause, yeah. Now's part of the service where we get to join in and give back to God. He's given to us so graciously and abundantly. Our cup runneth over. Tithes and offerings are now received.
Please be seated. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for that is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. Shall we pray? Father God, we worship and praise you this fall morning, and we recognize that as we freely assemble to worship you, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe do not have this freedom. We pray for each one in every country that they may feel your tangible presence with them today. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege to worship you freely, and let us not squander the responsibility that comes with it. Unloose our tongue, Lord Jesus, that we may share with those around us of your redemption and your saving grace. Emblazon it on each of our hearts to speak boldly of our faith that others may know your love and your mercy. We live in a world that needs a fresh touch from you, Lord. So much unrest, so much uncertainty, so much angst. We pray for peaceful resolution for the continuing protests in Hong Kong. We pray, too, for your intervention with Iran. Protect the world from any aggressive actions that may lead to war. We pray for our environment and ask, Lord, that you would guide us to make good choices in our own lives and homes. We pray, Lord, for countries to take responsibility for their carbon footprint, that we may actually begin to turn the tides of environmental decay that we have wrought on this planet that you gave us dominion over. Show us our part to help. Father, our country is divided politically, but of even more concern, we are divisively divided from one another. As we unite as brothers and sisters in Christ, despite our various denominations, help us to see, too, that whether Republican, Democrat, Independent, or other, we are first Americans who love our country and our freedoms. We pray for your wisdom for the leaders of our country as impeachment proceedings are being discussed. May truth come to life. May justice prevail. And may the leaders who are also followers of Jesus Christ honor you in their decision-making. Let us maintain justice and do what is right in your eyes, Lord. Lord Jesus, as we enter into this season of fall, we pray for Pastor Jason, Malia, Zeke, and Elsie, that they may be settling into their new home, their new school schedule, and their new church family. May they feel our love and build lifelong connections here. And as we continue to pray for our congregation, we lift up those among us dealing with a multitude of health issues. We pray for your healing hand to be upon them. We pray for Joan Clamp, Charlotte Colenda, Marcia's sister Carol, 
Kathy Byrne, Frank Ortiz. May your healing presence enfold them like a powerful salve that they may feel your presence with them at this very moment. You remind us, Lord, that if you are with us, who can be against us? We remind each other that no matter what each of us may be dealing with, if you, Lord, are with us, then what do we have to fear? Gracious God, among us here are your people, carrying burdens, facing challenges, coping with circumstances, and you know each and every one of us so intimately. Reach your hand from heaven this day that we may feel your presence with us. No matter what we are facing, you are with us, and you promise to never forsake us. Hear our silent prayers, Lord Jesus. And we continue praying in the way that you taught your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue our worship, please stand for our hymn of commitment.
every time, right? Cornell, I, I like that guy, right? Isn't that good stuff? Um, my wife said, you're not smiling enough, and you're coming down a little harsh. You heard the me too, right? Like, I, I, I confess I got a problem too, but this is an adventure. Like, we go, we, we get better and better as we start talking about this, about how much we for, we, we've been forgiven. You know, forgiven people forgive. Loved people love. The second time I went to Haiti, because the hurricane was still needing relief, I went back and I went with a guy named Ken Stone. And Ken Stone gave me this just awesome phrase. He says, the person in front of you is the reason you're in Haiti. And I'd like to say that to us as a congregation, as Presbyterian Church of the Covenant. Have that rolling around in your head as you go about your week this week. The person in front of me is the reason I'm here. The person in front of me is the reason I'm at Ralph's. The person in front of me is the reason I'm at work. The person in front of me is the reason I'm in the courtyard. Maybe they feel like a misfit. Maybe they don't know how much God absolutely adores them. Oh, it's going to turn into a second sermon. I'll give it as a benediction. May God's face shine upon you. May the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit guard and keep you. And may the peace of Christ, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds today, tomorrow, and forevermore. May it be so. Amen.